0: Ladies and gentlemen and all car business enthusiasts, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Chicks in Charge Automotive Edition. I am Shasta. And I'm Jess. And we are thrilled to introduce you to a remarkable individual who is reshaping the landscape of the automotive industry.
1: That is right, Shasta. Today we have the privilege of sitting down with a trailblazer who's driving change in more ways than one. Please join us in giving a warm virtual welcome to Ashley Church, the general, general manager at Volkswagen of Marion. Hello Hi, welcome.
2: guys. Oh, I'm so excited to hang out with you for a while today. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Yes. its
0: It has been such a long time overdue. Hi, Robin. <laughs> I'm kind of she says, hey, friends. Oh, hello. How dairy. are you today?
2: Oh, I am wonderful. Uh, I don't know if you guys have a heat wave going on where you're at, but if you guys see me like trying to cool myself off today, it is hot. Um, but I'm so excited to, um, get to spend some time with y'all talk about the industry culture, all things automotive. I'm sure that we could go on and on for hours, but I mean, we'll dive into it and see what happens.
1: Yeah, we are so excited. And yes, it is hot here. I think that we had a heat index of 122 yesterday.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're we're crazy. not quite that hot, but we're similar.
0: Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. So
2: I, um, I know that you're
0: familiar with a lot of our audience and a lot of audi- yeah. our audience is familiar with you. But if you will, just give a little bit of intro about who you are, where you started, and how you've gotten to where you are.
2: Sure. Um, I am from a car dealer family. So uh, my grandfather started our company. Um, He was back in the glory days of sales, right? When you were a great salesperson, he got his first Buick dealership and had the opportunity to move here to Southern Illinois. Um, The dealership that he had acquired previously in Vincennes, Indiana, sold 26 cars the year before he bought it. And in his first month, he sold 26. So um, he was a trailblazer in his own right. but. I mean, I really grew up in the industry. I've worked in the industry since 2001. I started filing um, ROs back when there were hard copies on Reynolds and Reynolds. I don't know if any of our viewers remember that, but you had to flag all the things. And we filed them in the Haas service department. So on a day like today, just dripping sweat out there. Nobody wanted that job. And I started at minimum wage in the office. And over the years have kind of worked my way up i always swore that i would never get a 10-year plaque for my family's company though so at nine years and seven months i had my mba and i said peace out car business and i left the industry for what i thought was forever um, i went to work for an inc 5000 company an incredible female entrepreneur named teresa Katubig and wow was it a culture shock for me because i had went from my whole life working in a male-dominated industry to working in a female uh, dominated industry overnight so that was a change I got the opportunity to teach at McKendree University. And so I took a step back from that role and came back to the dealership at that time. And that's when we really started actively pursuing Volkswagen. So um, we are in a rural market. Um, It's very interesting market that we're in. It's actually called a micropolitan. So very different than a metropolitan in that Our population in Marion is only 18,000, but our daytime population is 100,000. So we are kind of in this economic hub along our Route 13 corridor where people come for work, shopping, entertainment, travel, Um, really only about 40% of the people that work in our county actually live in our county. So because we are a rural area, people flock to Marion in order to uh, do business and because of that, it was really difficult to convince Volkswagen, who only had at the time, I think, 652 dealerships that they should open a franchise here. Um, so many of the other manufacturers have you know, thousands and thousands of dealerships. So um, we convinced Volkswagen to open a point. Um, we got the chance to present in Chicago to the team, and it was a competitive process. Um, they said that giving us a franchise was the easiest decision that they had ever made. Good. And long story short, I became the first employee of Volkswagen American. Marion. That was in 2014 and uh, we've been doing the thing ever since. And it's hard to believe that it's been nine years, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary soon. And uh, it's really been my honor and my privilege to be a part of building this team from day one, to be able to have the autonomy to build a team, to be able to fix all of, I mean, not that we're perfect, but to be able to make improvements on all the things that I saw, growing up that I was just like, I'd like to do it a little bit different than that. Um, But really have learned from the beginning from my grandpa that it's all about taking care of your employees, all about your customers, about the lifetime value of a customer. And one thing I feel like we just miss in automotive is When we manage by a monthly financial statement, don't get me wrong, numbers are important. um, We miss so much of the big picture on what is important five years from now, 10 years from now, so it's really been an honor and a privilege. Um, We are one of the top-ranked Volkswagen dealerships in the state of Illinois in terms of our market share. Um, So we've done a really great job building the business and I have an absolutely incredible team here My personal mission that's kind of changed you know transitioned into our team's mission is to change the stereotype of the car business and when i say that it's not just for our customers it's also for the people who come to work here i want people to want to work in automotive Um, when i told my mom i wanted to stay in automotive she encouraged me to do something else she's like why don't you get a law degree why don't you go and be an attorney like why do you want to be in the car business and um over the years i've said man wouldn't it be something if this was the generation that we changed things so that the women who are in the automotive industry today want their daughters to be in the automotive industry in the future so that's a little bit about me uh my team and um we kind of our hashtag here at the dealership is not like the other guys and while some people may think oh that's a catchy market marketing slogan it's really what we try and live up to each and every day in all of our client interactions and also in all of our interactions with our team members as well.
0: That's amazing. That that was probably one of the best intros we've ever had. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I really love that, Ashley, because I have three
1: little girls at home. So I've got three daughters. I'm a girl mom. I don't have any boys. And you said something in that. And you said, we want the industry to be something that where we want our daughters to go when they're older. Yeah. And my nine-year-old to this day will tell you when she gets older, she is going to sell cars. That's awesome. One way or the other, whether it's whether it's selling cars as a vendor-like mom or whether it's in the dealership selling cars. And that is, that's her thing. And I'm so excited for her to be able to watch Shasta and I and all of the amazing women in the industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bought uh, Melanie Borden's book, um, My Mommy Sells Cars. Um, I haven't heard of that one. Yes, it's a paperback. Oh, that's an awesome. On, and I love it so much. And the It'll show. be in
2: my cart as soon as we're done with this sure. show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dog mom, so I don't think that they're going to grow up to uh, sell go. cars someday. But <laughs> I'm might. hopeful they that might. we're going to change this for so many women in our industry and yeah. really show people what kind of opportunity that we have in automotive. Perfect. Because when you work for the right dealership, the opportunities are really incredible here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you said something earlier that um, made me curious. So you chose Volkswagen, Volkswagen didn't choose you. So how did you come upon the decision to seek out Volkswagen in specific and want that franchise out of all of them. Oh,
2: boy. Well, I didn't know you were going to ask that question. Um, (laughs) So uh, one thing that I am a pro at is I am a professional pivoter. I always joke that if something ever happens here and I've got to get a job and update my resume, I'm going to change my title from general manager to professional pivoter. Uh, Because the reason that we solicited Volkswagen was because of the diesel engine and the TDI. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you all remember what happened, but we don't have diesel engines and we don't have the TDI anymore. Ford F-150 is the number one seller in our market. We are in a rural area, in a rural market. So we really solicited Volkswagen um, because they have the TDI. But since then we've been able to develop the brand. And um, when we opened, I think we had less than 200 vehicles in operation in our area because the closest service center was two hours away so we were really looking for a brand that we could partner with that we knew brought quality to our products and that german engineering and really looking for a brand that um you know there wasn't one just next door or down the road um, and I love VW, right? Uh, if anybody knows me anything, and you see all this stuff that people have brought me in my office, mm-hmm. um, I'm known as the VW lady and the dog lady. So um, it's just been so cool. And VW has this great historical nostalgia about it. Everything from the beetle to the Boss, but our new product lines are so incredible. And it's really just been awesome being able to build a brand and not only a team and a dealership, but um, there were no Volkswagens here when we started. So um, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of, like the longer that you do this and the more monotonous it comes. But there are days that I'm driving to work and I'll stop at a four-way intersection and I'll see four or five Volkswagens at the same intersection. And I'm just like, dang, my team did that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I used to do that when I worked in the Kia store here locally um it brings such an awareness to you of you know looking at all the vehicles on the road and at the time um the store that i worked at had like i want to say 15 percent market share in a town of fifty thousand. but we were the same way that marion is where you get triple that in a day just because people drive to work here and um just seeing all of the kias and then not just the kias but then the badge of the dealership on there too and you're like look at that. Oh yeah.
2: You're like pounding your chest. And I see Robin popping up here. Great swag. There is no brand in automotive that has better driver gear and swag than yes. this wagon. So, um, if you see me out on a weekend, you can guarantee that I've got a VW hat on and VW <laughs> clothes. I'm all decked out. So we do have some really great swag. I probably. love that. And I you know she awesome. still wants another hat. Oh yes. yes. And you have an awesome,
0: she literally just commented my, my, my favorite hat ever. ever. <laughs> and you have a great swag selection in the store too.
2: Yeah, we have a whole driver gear area. It's a little boutique, and uh, I mean, we can't even fit a fraction of what VW sells into our little boutique area. Um, but there's there's so much cool stuff, and it's just a really fun brand to be a part of. Mm-hmm.
0: It is, and they're and they're staying with the times too. They're they're you know the um, the new I want to say it's called the Buzz. The new bus, the like, ID Buzz. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. The fact that they could get a vehicle that big to be electric is oh. Kim Baker says he needs some swag. <laughs> He's not far from you either. He's only over in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So yeah. right next door. Yep. Yeah. So this um this brings such a and a fun topic to us. Um all of the things that you do to be proactive not just yep. in the community but with your team. Yep. Um what are some of the more important things um, we were talking a little bit ahead of time about how even you do hiring yep. and how it's different than, you know, what we generally hear in the automotive industry. Um what would you say is the most important thing that you and your team do? when looking for
1: candidates. Well, and before you answer that, I wanna say something real quick, Ashley, is because I think that's something that is so admirable about you that you bring to, not only your store, but the industry, is your diversity and inclusion that you mm-hmm. do have in the store.
2: Yeah, so um, one of my favorite sayings is that we're deliberately diverse and we're intentionally inclusive. And that does not mean, people will come up to me at conferences and they'll be like, how do you get your male managers to hire women? First tip, don't tell them they have to hire women because that's not what they want to hear, right? But what we do talk about is we talk about the fact that we want our team to reflect our customer base, that we want people to feel comfortable here. It is amazing to me, the number of women that come into the dealership and my sales floor is 50% women right now. It has fluctuated mm-hmm. a little bit over the years, but we're proud to be 50% women. My top three sales reps on the board for last month are all women. Yes, and I love that. it's amazing how even when a female and her daughter, let's say that she's shopping for a 16-year-old, and they come in, and husband is out of town for work, and they feel so comfortable and they may not have even worked with one of the female sales associates. Mm -hmm. Maybe they worked with one of my guys on the floor, but just by walking, just by looking around and feeling like this is somewhere that I belong, I'm not scared to be here. It has such an impact. Um, But to bring it back around to hiring, um, I think that what I could say the most singular, most important thing that we do is we dedicate the time. Um, I, my sales reps, uh, I just did a, a sales rep, hiring class. And I interviewed for three straight weeks. I had my calendar completely blocked off, we scheduled interviews with over um, 90 unique candidates, Um, we had about a 50% show rate on that. And that was with text and email confirmations. Of those, I passed along four candidates to a second round of interviews. So we try and spend an extensive amount of time up front to make sure that the people that we bring on are going to be a good fit for our team, and a good fit for our customer base. We were kind of talking before we came on the show too, um, about, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate my words here. In automotive performance is important and I don't want to discount the importance of performance, but I tell all of my team members on the first day that performance does not negate cultural fit within our team and being expected to uphold our core values. Mm -hmm. And you can be the highest performer on the sales floor. You can be the technician that turns the most hours in the shop. And the reality is, if you can't uphold our core values, you can't work here because my team deserves better than that and my, my client base deserves better than that. Absolutely. And going back to the time and dedicating, so not only, I, I, I still to this day, nine years later, am the person who sits in the quote unquote accountability seat of hiring for our store. Um, That's a very intentional reason because I want to be the person that helps hand select the team that we bring on and that our team is going to invest in. Not that other managers aren't part of the process. They most certainly are, um, but it's so important. And my reps that just came through in sales training did not talk to a client um, face-to-face on a showroom visit for about 60 days after they were hired. And if you would post that in a variety of the Facebook groups that I'm in, I would be completely crucified and completely blasted for having that philosophy. But I believe that I need time with them. We need to teach them the right way to do things. I prefer to hire people who don't have industry experience. So that brings in its own unique challenges as well. And also it helps us to have better retention. So once they get on the floor, they actually know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. The other unique thing that we tried this time um, with hiring is to come up with a pairing system to where in their first month on the floor, all of my new hires were paired with a veteran sales rep. They were paired with a veteran sales rep who was compensated for half of their deals. So if the new hire sales rep sold six cars, the other sales rep got the equivalent of three additional units on their pay plan. But here's the kicker. We didn't take half of those car deals from the new hires that we're trying to bring on and motivate. And it is amazing to me, not only that our, our team is more skilled that we are more confident in them when we put them on the floor, but the level of cohesion within the team is so mm-hmm. much greater when you don't bring them in and put them into competition on day two together, yep. right? Who's this new person? Who's this new lady? Who's this new guy that I'm suddenly competing with? And by putting them on a longer structure to where it's really a hundred days before they're in direct, direct competition. They have had time to get to know each other. They've had time to build a bond with each other. They've had time to figure out that, you know, Hey, that guy's pretty cool. They're pretty awesome. And they learn to work together. And we've set it up to where the existing reps, the veteran reps have been mutually invested in the success of bringing up our current team. So um, that is a strategy that I will definitely continue because it worked really well with this last round of onboarding that we did
0: well and it helps with leadership too with your with your veteran reps um Mm -hmm. seeing how well they can lead somebody else when you're looking to um, grow your management staff or elevate people and then you have an open manager spot sure then know um you know after watching each of them coach a a newer employee you get to see how they would perform in that role and i think that's so imperative in our industry because you never want to bring in a cold manager from another store you You always want that to be internal and somebody who already knows your culture, knows your store and knows the right way to do things. And that's I can't think of a better way to find a better leader. Yeah,
2: And I think one of the really cool things is sometimes even the person who's not the top performer has something unique to offer to the team. Like I said earlier, we value the contributions of every single person that's on our team, whether or not they're the top performer. And sometimes the people that can help the new hires the most isn't the person that was on the top of the board last month. Um, they can help with different kinds of skill sets. I have one rep that might be really great with, um, the CRM. I have another rep that might be better with video than other reps, another rep that might have a better social media presence. And by allowing them to spend time with all of those different reps, in addition to me, so, um, our last round, so I, I am actually hiring right now for a sales and training manager in our store. Um, we do have a career website. We are not like the other guys.com. So if you're interested in the position, we can definitely, um, would love to speak with you. Um, We have a really unique setup in our store though. So I do not have a BDC. My reps handle everything from cradle to grave. And not only do they sell cars, they also acquire inventory. And we were actually featured in Automotive News as a best practice for how we have integrated our acquisition strategy onto our sales floor. And they handle all of those things. So there, It's kind of a hybrid, almost like a BDC, internet sales team manager role, but it's a true sales manager position that desks and appraises cars and has all of those things as well um, because our team is directly handling the leads as well. So um, that's that's another opportunity that we have available in the store. Um, I have had that position open for a year and I will not hire until I find the right candidate for that position. So I am slow to hire, I want to make sure that we get the right person at the right time. I want to make sure that it's going to work, not just for us, but also for the member of the, uh, the team that we're bringing on. And so that our team also has confidence that I'm not just going to bring in any random, any random person. And I've interviewed some really fantastic candidates that was so hard to say no to because they weren't the right fit for that seat. They might've been the right person and they might've been a great fit on my team. And I love some of them and I love some of their values. Um, but really, I think that our expectations in general, just to kind of bring this back to a higher level in the automotive industry, our expectations are changing of what a sales manager is. No longer is the most valuable person in the dealership, the person who can go out and build rapport on the showroom floor and close a deal. Now, the most valuable person in the store is sometimes the person who can handle those internet opportunities, can help us convert them to appointments, and can handle online communications. Because let me tell you, when we get customers in the door, we don't have any problem with our closing rate. Good. But our opportunity lies inside the CRM. And so many people yes. just think, oh, the CRM is another tool and it's something that I don't want to have to mess with. And like, we need an admin to handle that because, like, that's an admin's job, not a sales manager job. But that's where the opportunity lies in our So much gold in your CRM.
0: Yeah, if the sales managers would honestly just log in and look at their internet (laughs) leads and how, you know, whether it's their sales team handling them or a BDC, um, see the missed opportunities because of a lack of training. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, I mean, I... I have more experience than anybody on my team. And there's times where I log in and, and look at leads and just say, oh, my gosh, that's not how I would have handled it. I think that there's a little bit of an opportunity here that their lack of experience didn't allow them to see. And I know that the perfect trained person would be that same way where they would they would find those opportunities falling through the cracks. And it may just be a few. But if that's two to three extra deals a month. Mm -hmm. That's still more than you have. I mean,
2: people are protective of their personal information on average, not everyone. But let's be honest, we don't get hundreds of leads that come into our system every month because people just decided that they want to go and give us their phone number, their first and last name, their address, and their email address. Mm -hmm. But we look at it and we say, oh, that's just a lead. And in our store we don't even really i mean we use the term lead because it kind of goes with the crm and the verbiage that people see but i mean those are opportunities they're not really leads and i see bobby popping on um she'll be the first to uh back me on that one they're not leads they're opportunities exactly
0: absolutely it's true and and they're they're looked at as a headache sometimes Mm -hmm. uh when when those are those are hot customers raising their hand saying hey i i want more information please give me more information and you know a lot of a lot of teams will just barely touch at it or and not even um share the culture of the store that's something i learned last night because i have never personally myself used kbb as a as a consumer and i did for the first time last night and i was actually just telling um jess and robin about this earlier i did not remember and i'm Ten years I've been in this industry. I did not remember clicking a box anywhere that said you can reach out to me. All I right. wanted was the offer. I then had three dealerships in the next twelve hours reach out to me. I um, unsubscribed from two of them, and one of the ones I unsubscribed from then texted me from a cell phone, which is illegal. Yeah. And um, but I never I never told a dealership that I wanted to be reached out to. But that that opportunity right there is so important. That but that's
2: also why it's so important to train with our teams, right? Um, You know, in that time that we talked about being in training with the team and I was back there, my team sat down and they did KBB leads and they went through the process and yep. they did trade pending and they saw how that varies. And they went out on our website and they submitted, you know, pre-approval and how is that different than a credit application? And we talked about how these people are in different parts of the buying cycle and different parts of the funnel and different strategies to contact those customers. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, Shasta, if you just call and say, hey, this is Ashley, from Volkswagen to Marion calling about your instant cash offer, you're going to be like, "Who are you?" I didn't ask VW Marian to call me. But if your tone is more, "Hey, this is Ashley, and I'm with the Kelly Blue boat buying team here at Volkswagen to Marion all of a sudden now we have aligned ourselves with that partner or that vendor that we are, you know, integrated with. But it's so important for our team. It's amazing to me how many people are answering leads that have never went online and submitted a lead like they were a consumer. Yes.
0: Yes. You have to know how that journey, Bobby, can I get a name in Know <laughs> how that journey is because, um, and it's, it's one of the reasons why we even started our BDC, but when people are handling leads that they don't know the journey, mm-hmm. that's one of the fastest ways to lose an opportunity. Absolutely. Right. And, and having that, that training that you do from your, with your sales team and teaching them, hey, this is this lead source, this is how we acquired this opportunity, this is how we got to this one. And the difference even between KBB and trade pending, that's something that maybe a lot of dealers or you know BDC reps, anybody handling opportunities out there may not know. But there's a big difference in how both of those leads are acquired. And mm-hmm. so knowing before you ever hop on the phone how to handle one versus the other, could be the difference in a five to 10% change
2: in Absolutely. your show and sold rate.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have a question. Yeah,
2: oh, from oh the good, partner. the bad, and the ugly. Okay, so we're gonna so, get dirty here.
0: From <laughs> perspective. Could you give us a glimpse or examples of the good, the bad, and the ugly, as far as the difference between a vendor versus a dealer partner relationship? Okay. Ooh, I know you can speak so oh, well yes, on I this. I can,
2: I can. Yeah. Um, so to me, a vendor is transactional. I write you a check every month, The leads come into my CRM. I don't talk to you. Maybe we do a monthly call, but I mean, it could have been an email, um, you know, or it could have been a PowerPoint that you sent over. Um, Our partners are the people who are mutually invested in our success. And when I say mutually invested in our success, I don't mean that they don't get canceled if their lead, if their product doesn't perform. What I mean is that those are the people that at 10 p.m., if I pick up the phone and call and I say, hey, we're having a struggle in our store, they say, what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. What can I do to better understand your store? The partners to me are the people who say, hey, Ashley, I wanna know how you sell cars in your store. I wanna know what your core values are. I wanna know what is different about your team compared to other people in the industry. And I wanna learn with you. And we are not successful the first time every time, right? But the partners are the people who are there kicking and screaming, sometimes helping you drag your team along. I mean, I mentioned that Automotive News best practice article on acquisition strategy. I can tell you that my team would have done cartwheels for two and a half years if I would have walked in and said, we're turning off all the acquisition leads and you guys don't have to answer them anymore. They'd have been like, hallelujah. Can we go out for drinks? We need to celebrate because this doesn't work but we knew we drug them kicking and screaming sometimes um to a place where it worked and we showed them it worked and we found a process that worked and the people who are true partners are the ones that that buy in with your team just as much as with a gm or a sales manager my sales team members know the people that I consider partners. Mm -hmm. They have their cell phone numbers. They are the people that when they come into the store, they want to know about the college class that you just took and um, that you were really successful with it. They want to know about your kids, about your life ambitions, about your goals, and the partners are the people that want to align themselves on a higher level. Um, I don't think that we necessarily have to get into too much of the nitty gritty on the bad side of vendors, because I think that that's so well known in our industry, that there's just simply all I'll say is, that there are a lot of people who are there to take your money, to tell you that you aren't doing things wrong or aren't doing things right without ever taking the time to understand you, your process, and what your goals are.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I imagine you've probably heard
2: and that. Come to visit. Yes, the partners yeah. come to visit.
0: Yeah, Robin says, and they come to visit. And that's that's something important we've learned too. But I've imagined that you've you've heard plenty of the, the well, this isn't the way you should be doing it because you're so different than the other guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that it's not it's not a vendor's place to say, or even, I mean, and I can't say dealer partner at that point, because if they were a true partner, they would know we're going to pivot and not make the store pivot to what we want. Because,
2: and I think that that kind of goes back to what our goals are. Right. And as I said at the beginning, when I opened, you know, my grandfather taught me that it's, that there's a lot of things that are more important than just what goes on this month. It's next month, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and so many people in our industry are just automatically conditioned to, You know, I can't tell you how many vendors will call and say, hey, we'll give you a free 30-day trial of my product. Mm -hmm. Any vendors who are watching, don't try that pitch with me. It's not going to work. I am not onboarding your product for a free 30-day trial if we don't have a need for it, if we're not going to be intentional about it, and if we're not going to be committed to it, when we yep. onboard, right? And right. there's so much in the vendor world that's just like, hey, try this and like, I'll be successful. Uh, but to your point about people telling you um, that uh, the way you're doing it isn't the right way, um, all I'll say to that is people call you crazy and then they call you for advice.
0: Yes, exactly. Amen. Because you, most of the time, people who who are swimming against the flow <laughs> are the people that in six months, everyone's like, oh my God, yep. they had it figured out before the rest of us. Yep. <laughs>
2: Right. And success may look different for me. Um, We are in a lower volume store, but I have no desire to be in a metro market, in a metro store. I love my team. I love my store. Does it mean that I want to sell more cars? Absolutely. I always want more. I always want my team to do better. I always want them to have more personal success so that the store can have more success as well. But what success looks like to me isn't what my paycheck is this month. Success to me looks different in terms of five years down the road, 10 years down the road, and really being a part of a team. um, You know, I tell people, yes, I sell cars. Yes, we service cars. But at the end of the day, um, that stuff isn't the stuff that gets me excited. The stuff that gets me excited and up in the morning is feeling like I'm making a difference. And my team gets to feel like they make a difference every day when we come to work.
0: Yeah. Yep. And so I know, I don't know if she's still here. Courtney Pascal was watching earlier and we oh, had Courtney. done an episode with her that was all about being involved in your community. Yes. And I know just from knowing you personally, that that is something that is also very near and dear to your heart in the entire team yeah. there at Volkswagen of Marion. What would you say um, kind of led you? I mean, and it, it may just be something that even your grandfather did, Ike, um, mm-hmm. because that's such a big name in your area. But what what led you to making sure that you are always involved in the community?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think from a young age, I was, it was just always beat into my head that your community is the people who support you. And so many people have, you know, th- this philosophy of like, again, um, if we spend money today, you know, you go to NADA Academy and I love NADA Academy. I'm a graduate. Right. Um, but there's this formula, right? Um, if you spend X this month, you need to recoup that investment within X number, it needs to provide a X number of times return on investment. And while financial management is important in the dealership, sometimes you have to leave with your heart and with your gut. And you have to know that when we do, I have a saying, and it's if we do the right thing, it's generally always the most profitable thing in the end. It may not be this month on the financial statement, but a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we talk about retention on our sales floor. Does anybody think that your sales reps like to sell someone a car who comes back six weeks later and their transmissions out? And we're going to send that sales rep to go tell the customer that we're not going to do anything for them because they declined the warranty in the finance office. And then we expect to retain that person while we're sitting here paying managers an exorbitant amount of money. No. Right. Um, so I think that so much goes into the culture, you know, part of our core values is that we re, um, that we commit to resolving problems quickly and fairly. And you know, every one of my service department does that. If somebody comes to me and says, Hey, Ashley, I resolved the problem and it cost us this dollar amount. I'm not even going to blink an eye, but I think that you have to be prepared for that. You have to plan for that financially and you have to build that into your profitability over time. I have slush funds all over the place. So that when things like that happen, we don't have to take a hit on our bottom line for this month, that there's an account that's already got money banked into it. And yes. we just keep rolling. We take care of the problem. And wow, is my life so much less stressful when we just resolve customers' problems yes. instead of them ending up in my office. Yeah, right. because
0: your your customer retention at that point will be so high because they're always going to remember the people who treated them right and treated them like family. And, you know, um, if, if there was something that we did that that didn't, you know, live up to your standards. They got you in this position. We're gonna do anything we can to fix it, even if we didn't do anything. Yep. Sure. We're still gonna be here for you and be that person that that helps solve this for you so that you're not having to wonder, you know, how you're getting to work tomorrow.
2: Right, right. And you know, to go back to to the community piece of it. Our community is our livelihood and, I, and I'm and i not saying that I would operate differently if I was in a metro market, I certainly wouldn't, but I think that it's even more important when you're in a rural market that that you operate with a high, very high level of integrity, right? I do not have a revolving door of hundreds of thousands of people that I can just bring them in on one, oops, sorry, I just hit the computer, I can bring them in on one price, I can add them $10,000, I can blow them out the door and um, I can just move on to the next customer because word travels quickly. And the one thing that I'll say, we have phenomenal reviews in our store, but Mm -hmm. what gets me isn't the five stars. What gets me are the things that people write. When people say, you know, I was nervous to come in, but I had heard such fantastic things about you. But I thought like, oh, come on, like, could it really be? And I walked in and people talk about the way they feel when they walk into our dealership. Um, I just read a review the other day that said, um, you were so nice to my son when he was here. And my son commented when he left that every single person that he saw in the dealership, talked to him and smiled at him. That's so Um, We underestimate the little things that make our customer experience. And we, sometimes we put it all on the sales rep who's working with the customer to deliver the customer experience, but it's really the entirety of our whole team, even the detail person or the technician that walks by, they get a vibe from that person, right? Your culture is like your personality and people when when i see a review that talks about how people feel when they come in that's just that's just like the best thing and um again because i know we keep getting away from this community thing but that's how people get here right and we ultimately sell them cars but the community involvement piece is so important and i don't do it with an expectation of profitability just off of the get-go um back in 2018 we were coming out of the tdi crisis and we did a year-long suv touring giveaway um you might even remember some of that shasta but we um took our Tiguan and our atlas that had just been released it was the first time vw had ever had third row vehicles and we attended um multiple events per week for an entire year and got out in our community i still see people today come in on showroom visits that registered for our giveaway five years ago And they come in and they say, oh, well, when I saw the Atlas, I had just bought this new Acadia. And now that it's, you know, they don't probably use the word trade cycle. That's an industry term. But now that it's their trade cycle and they're ready to purchase again, all that we ask people in exchange for our community involvement and those things is I'm never going to ask someone to buy a car for me. But what I will ask people is to give us the opportunity, because the more cars we sell, the more good we can do in the community. And we just simply say, hey this is us we just want to share a little bit about ourselves we just want to make you comfortable in an interaction with us and we hope that ultimately that brings people through the door but it may not be immediately it might be five years from them it might be seven years from them that person may never come from the door but what if they're setting at work one day and the co-worker who sits next to them totaled their car and they're like, oh, I had a really bad experience. The place that I bought last time, you probably shouldn't go there, but man, I've heard really great things about Volkswagen and Marion. And maybe you should check out their website and see if there's anything they're interested in. And all of a sudden we have people advocating for us, those raging fans in our community, who some of them have never even bought cars from us.
1: Yeah, word of mouth is so important. It's imperative
2: in our industry. Yeah, as Courtney said, it all starts with that one opportunity. Exactly. And sometimes exactly. that opportunity isn't to sell a car. Sometimes that opportunity is just simply to make an impression. And to leave someone with a good taste in their mouth about golly, like that was a really great interaction. And that's somebody that I wouldn't be scared to go talk to. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, and and I'm sure that you know all the numbers because because I know how involved you are with your numbers. On the on the other side of it, of you know, this is still a business that we have to run. And you know, knowing all this work we're doing, not being like the other guys. How much has that impacted your business when it comes to the numbers? Like, you know, did you see with more things that you did that you did get more market share or, um, you know, your retention numbers when it comes to sales and tax?
2: Well, absolutely. We have one of the top, um, you know, with Volkswagen, we're one of the top market share dealers in the entire central region. So it obviously works. We're in little old Southern Illinois and we're um, you know, gaining market share on dealers in Chicago and have better market share. So it's, it's incorrect to say that there is an opportunity in a small market, there absolutely is. And in fact, I find that there's more opportunity in a small market because I can get out and I can have those interactions with people and people can know me. And it just breaks down so many barriers. And um, yes, the numbers are important, but, I, I, I look at the statement. I know my numbers, but that's five days out of the month, right? The other 25 days out of the month, I am listening to what people say. I'm listening to when they go in the finance office and they're telling my finance manager that they're here buying another car because our service team has treated them so phenomenally and it's the best customer experience that they've ever had in service. Not only do we have incredible reviews on the sales side, but my Google service rating is a five star.
0: Wow, that is Let me tell you,
2: we have cars out back with back-order parts. We have cars that sometimes we can't fix, right? But people know that we care. And that goes so far whenever you have a customer issue that you can't resolve sometimes or that it's just a really bad situation. As my service director says, there's one thing that all dealerships on Route 13 have in common. If you drive around the back of their building, they all have cars back behind them that are broken and need repaired. Yep. But it's how we go about it. It's the compassion that we show our customer. And it's just knowing that 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 we give a crap about it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That part is so important. When when
0: you think about um, buying a car is, you know, it's, it's such a well-known statement. So many people say it, that um, a car is the second bur- biggest purchase that anybody's going to make in their life. Okay, well, we buy more cars than we buy houses. So let's be mm-hmm. honest. It's maybe not second anymore. It is. Right i do it
2: more often so um yeah absolutely
0: it's financially i mean a larger amount you know next to a house yes of course you know i'm I'm not out there buying other forty to fifty thousand dollar things so (laughs) so sure we'll keep it second in that sense but when when people are making a purchase that large and you know you have the ability to either swing them so positively or swing them so negatively it's very rare that something just stays right in the middle that that they didn't have feelings in regards to that purchase because you're going to remember it the next time you buy. Yep. Yeah.
2: And the other thing that I will say is, um, so I sold cars at our Honda store before we ever opened Volkswagen. And I was the person that got all the problem customers. If there was a customer that had a problem, they just got moved on over to me. Nobody, they're like, Hey, here you go. You take care of them. But what I've learned over time is when you take a customer who has a legitimate issue and comes into your office and they're raising their voice at you and you're tempted to um, clap back, Um, Because maybe we know that the customer is not always right, right? But we still show that compassion. And what I will say is those customers that have an issue, that we solve that issue, become our most loyal group of customers. So Mm -hmm. I look at a customer who is upset in my office as an opportunity to make one of the most loyal customers that you can imagine.
1: Absolutely. I was actually, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I don't remember who it was that I was talking to. And he said to me, um, he said, what would you rather hear? I had a really great experience over at Volkswagen of Marion or, you know, I went over there. I didn't have the great initial experience, but then the way they resolved it was seamless. Definitely. that what's for a me. What's a better conversation? hmm.
2: Well, I would prefer we do it right the first time. I'm not going to say that I want to resolve customer problems all day. I think that when you rectify a situation, says a lot. I think that when people look through, like we were talking about Google reviews earlier, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there is validity in having people who complain about you online. Because when someone just reads through and they see, oh, they're fantastic, they're fantastic, they're fantastic, like it's just like, right, are they paying someone to come and do these reviews? But when you see a client, says wow i have this really big problem they acted like they cared here is how they went about resolving it um that those are those are the reviews that i'm most proud of i'm not saying that that's the review that i necessarily want the most but i am most proud of those absolutely
0: it's so important and we we know that so much we you know we started off this company doing social media marketing and one of the Mm -hmm. biggest pieces we always wanted to make sure we had a handle on was handling of reviews because mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see the GM handle it and they they won't have that ability to not clap back at the customer, like you said, mm-hmm. that they're going to defend, you know, their stores honor, their hard work. And yeah, you're not going to just sit here and say all this stuff about me. And so, you know, we try to take that out of their hands and, okay, we're going to love yeah. on this customer. We're going to treat them really, really well because we want the opportunity to fix this. So we're going to see the review and you know, take it to a sales manager's, hey, can you give us your side of what happened with this? And where can we come to some middle ground? What can you do to help them? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I, I mean, every time on Facebook, on Google that we see those, that's my favorite opportunity. I would yep. rather see, and this sounds so backwards, but I would rather see someone being negative because it's such an opportunity to show everybody mm-hmm. else, look what we can do to fix this. Yeah. And look what we're willing to do to make sure we get it
2: right. And I have a rule in my store with my team. And I'm very clear about it. And I don't play around about it. If they have a customer issue that they can't resolve, and they are tempted to clap back, they are to immediately tell that customer something similar to, it doesn't seem like I'm able to help you resolve this problem. Let me have someone call you back who might be able to better help you. And you bring that customer to me. Because the last thing that I want to do is have a customer issue that escalates to me that the first 20 minutes of the phone call, I have to hold the phone out this far because they're complaining and they're yelling and they're telling me that the manager didn't care and the salesperson didn't care and what they said and how it went back and forth. And now I have to wait 20 minutes to even find out what the customer's problem was and how to even start to resolve it. Because now I'm apologizing for my team or how they've acted. I say it like that happens, but, um, you know, I'm very, very clear about it if you're tempted if you cannot conduct yourself in a professional manner you are to exit the the conversation with your customer and you are to tell them that i will call them back and i will take it over and i will handle it from there it's
0: so much just takes that care from that yes. higher level to actually be willing to invest that time in Mm -hmm. in the customer i wanted to read um so for the for the podcast Mm -hmm. itself where people can't see the comments michael had dropped a comment ashley you are my new favorite gm much overlooked is the response to good reviews and bad reviews Mm -hmm. professionally you don't only review for joe who wrote the review but it is for mike who is reading reviews to decide whether to call you or not absolutely love that yeah and Courtney had Courtney said something similar to what we were talking about. Upset customers are my favorite challenge accepted to make sure they leave smiling by the time Absolutely. they leave 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's such a missed opportunity in our business.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I take cars back, <laughs> you know, sometimes I go and I'm like, Hey, sales manager. Hey Ryan, um, got a doozy for you. You're not going to like me much, but I resolved the problem. Yeah. But my yeah. team knows that when we, I don't want customers in the service lounge when they come back to service their car, that I have to exit my office and walk around back to the detail shop and over to the side of the building. because I don't want to walk through the service lounge because I don't want to make eye contact with the customer because I know that I have a customer that's left unhappy. Right. Um, so there are just so many. Out, and, and there are so many things that we're told we can't do. Well, who said we can't take back the car? Who said that once the loan is funded that we can't do an unwind with a lender? Who mm-hmm. says that we can't unwind an RDR on a car? We just don't want to what I found yep. is we offer a customer a solution that works for them and works for us. Yep. The solution may be I'll unwind your deal, but you need to pick another vehicle in inventory that we can swap it out for and we can do kind of a substitution, a collateral, and and I will be happy to do that. Right. And we find something that works for me and works for them.
0: Yep. It just, it just takes that care and having the team that is also that believes in your mission and believes in your culture. And we talked about this a bit, you know, before the start of the show, um, about when, when you hire, you hire for culture and in not always the experience and how you, um, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier on the show that you had 90 interviews to get, what was it? Four second interviews? Yep. Yeah. So,
1: 200
0: applications. Yeah. So, i think that is something that that we have to talk about because so many dealerships would hire every single person who showed up just to see who made it down the funnel instead of taking the time and energy to really listen to what the person is saying see if they are actually a match for you culturally But it starts, like you said, um, it starts back at the application process and Mm -hmm. the job ad that you put out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without giving away trade secrets, you know, what would what would you say is most important in ensuring that you get the right people when you're creating your job ads?
2: Yeah. Um, You know, we we just have this theme, not like the other guys. My job ads talk about it. My job ads, you know, will expressively say, hey, you've never thought about uh, a job opportunity in the car business. We don't blame you but let me tell you why we're different. And we really start that communication with people from the moment that we meet them, but also going back to that community involvement, right? When somebody sees my job ad and they don't think that I'm a horrible person and they know that the people in my dealership are pretty decent people, instead of just being like, oh, sale of car sales, I would never do that. It's that interaction that you get with them that you may not get the opportunity. So, um, you know, just like with sales, we're trying to get our vehicles in the consideration set of a client We are trying to get in the consideration set of applicants. And I feel like that is a piece of the hiring puzzle that we just missed. I can't tell you how many groups I'm in that they say, oh, well, I'm posting on indeed right now and what's a better job board. Well, there probably isn't a better job board. I mean, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but. What do people think about your dealership? Do the people in your community value you as an employer? Um, what does your job ad say? What is the title of your ad? All of those things go into it. And um, one of my favorite stories, and we were um, chatting about this, I think um, you know from Women in Automotive, we shared this um, when Erica and I presented was um, our service. So one of the things that, um, that I require is I require my team, my managers to interview a diverse candidate pool before they make an offer. That is how we have a diverse, an intentionally diverse or a deliberately diverse team in our store. I don't tell them that they have to hire women. I don't tell them that they have to hire minority candidates. But what I do, Mandy, is that they interview a diverse set of applicants. And if all the people they're interviewing look the same, then we need to go back to the drawing board and we need to figure out how to get a more diverse pool of applicants before we move forward with a hiring decision. So we were trying to hire for a service advisor, and we were just getting the same applicants over and over and over again. And so we're like, okay, well, how are we going to increase the diversity of this candidate pool? We ran an A-B test where we took the exact same job ad for an express service advisor. All we did is change the title from express service advisor to customer service liaison. And we went from a job ad that generated almost all male applicants to a job ad that generated almost all female applicants. And from that, my service manager interviewed a more diverse pool of candidates. And lo and behold, the person that he chose to fill the position was Samantha. And Samantha has now been on our team for... I think coming up on three to five years, I lose wow. track of time. You know, it happens wow. so fast, but she's grown with us and been with our organization. And she's a great advocate for our customers, and customers love her when they come in to see her. But it all started by us saying, you know what? We're not interviewing a diverse pool of candidates. What can we do to change that and to make those little tweaks? Mm-hmm. I love that. that that's and so that's perfect.
0: And so many stores lack the creativity to mm-hmm. think of something like an A B test and to notice. Um, you know, we're, we're only getting one type of person for, and especially when, you know, your reputation is different than that. You're not like the other guys. Mm -hmm. So why are those people not applying? And so you had to be that forward thinking to think, I need to go back to the very beginning of this and look at the ad and see, Mm -hmm. is this something that would attract a different audience? And if not, let's change it and test it against another. So many people won't think of that or they just won't care. In mm-hmm. well, in automotive,
1: I know that we touched on this, but automotive is not top of mind as a career opportunity as right. it is. So you guys are already having to battle that on mm-hmm. top of
0: everything else that goes into that hiring process and headache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's we're okay. trying really hard to make this a friendly environment for
2: all. You know, this, yeah. this isn't. Here's this, the thing, and I do want to say something really quick. So. Everybody thinks that women don't want to work in the car business because of the hours. And that might be a piece of it. But let me tell you, there was a study that was done when asked why women never considered working in the automotive industry. And the number one reason, number two reason was um, lack of work-life balance. The number three reason was lack of flexible scheduling. But the number one reason was an unattractive work environment for women. Huh. I'm not that, surprised yet. Yeah, no, I'm not either. It really and it doesn't, I mean, me. we
0: had, um, we had another past episode that touched on that similar subject mm-hmm. from Pedra Fox where she was discussing, you know, her time in the business and we see it. Um, and I know you're in the, the same Facebook groups that I am. And there's one group in particular where it seems like there's always some sort of complaint of favoritism to a male, a yes. male colleague. There is, um, you know, um, sexual harassment. There's, harassment in general there is some form of I don't know if disrespect is the right word but I'll use it right now because I can't come up with anything else but disrespect to them because they're a woman in that role that men in the exact same role don't get right and it's a problem I mean we know it because we see it we're immersed in it and it's our jobs to change it for them
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, there is a divide in most dealerships between where the women are in the dealership, right? I don't have a BDC, but if I did, um, or most, let's just talk in general, most BDCs are women. Most of the office positions are filled by women. And then we walk around and we talk about non-revenue generating employees. And we put them in a class of people that's not as important as the men that are in our dealership. And I hate, the term non revenue generating employees, every single person that works here has an important role. And let me tell you, if the titles don't get processed, and if the customer's loan doesn't get paid off, they didn't have a good experience. And we're not getting that five star review, no matter what a phenomenal job the sales team member did, you know, and and I did, I jotted down something earlier, and we kind of left the subject of, you know, customer satisfaction and resolving issues, but I jotted down chargebacks. If any of you are general managers, one of the fastest things that I can encourage you to do is to quit charging your salespeople back for chargebacks. If I unwind a deal and I take a car back, I still pay the sales rep the commission. If I have an issue and I pay for a $500 service bill, I don't deduct what the salesperson made on their monthly pay for the last month. Because if I want the opportunity to resolve issues, are people going to escalate issues to me if they know if I resolve the issue that their pay is going to get cut? Nope. Nope. That's one simple change that you can make today.
0: That was a mic drop right there.
2: Boom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's huge though, because they're not going to, like you said, they're not going to bring issues to you if they know it's going to cost them. Like, If this is my mortgage payment or a satisfied customer. Why should they have to make that decision?
2: Yeah, because right. the check engine light came on the car after the customer left. Get right. real people. There's a cost to doing business and it's on it's on our shoulders to handle that
0: exactly absolutely that is so big and i think that you have so much that you have done in your time there and and like you said you the volkswagen has only been there for what 9 years yeah mm-hmm. 9 24/7. years yeah. you've done some amazing things in those 9 years and that that award behind your head just proves that mm-hmm. when you won the 40 under 40 <laughs> i love that and it's it is such a true testament that um you don't have to be 50 60 70 years old to make a change in this business
2: yeah you know i um you know the trophies are cool but it's not about the trophies for me it's about the fact that i know that i'm making a difference that my team is making a difference and that we can we can even in little southern illinois here we can show an example that hopefully the rest of the industry can learn from absolutely Absolutely.
0: I wanna ask, um, are you going to be speaking at any conferences coming up? I know we're- I
2: don't have anything on my agenda. I might be at, um, at a couple conferences coming up, but I um, we've been a little bit shorthanded in the store. So I am looking to hire a sales manager. And once I hire a sales manager and I'm not as active on the floor, I very much look forward to getting back on the conference circuit again. Uh, but if you are interested in that, again, our career site is wearenotliketheotherguys.com and you do not have to have prior sales manager experience to apply, I am looking for someone who's let a team, and if that is an internet sales team or a BDC team, you're probably the person that I wanna to talk to.
0: I'll see what that I can so do awesome. to to help connect you. We have um, a great group of people who have a ton of BDC experience or internet sales team that have mm-hmm. led um, that I can look through and see if, if I can connect yeah. you guys. And um, if you're listening to the show, please share with anybody who you know that fits that bill. I'm sure that they don't have to be local to Southern Illinois. Um, I know that there have been plenty of people who have moved across the country to come work for Ashley and her team and yeah. to be a part of something as amazing as Volkswagen of Marion is doing.
2: Yeah, I would love the opportunity to chat. And um, I will tell you that I'm a great recruiter. <laughs>
1: I it too. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been yeah, absolutely. with you and you dropped the mic several times yeah. during this during this episode. So we are so excited to get this up and live. Where can people reach you outside of the website if they need if they have a question, sure. they would like advice, where can they reach you at?
2: Yeah, my email is Ashley with two E's, A-S-H-L-E-E at vwmarianne.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, I'm not as active on LinkedIn. So if you send me a PM there, I'll probably check them after the show. But um, Facebook um, email is the best way to reach out to me too. Um, And the only thing that I would just leave behind is um, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you accept.
0: I love that. That's huge. There's that mic drop again. I know. How (laughs) many mics, how many mics do you have that you can just keep dropping? A lot. This is, this is such a stellar episode and it speaks for everything that we're trying to do. The whole reason we started this show, the reason why we're, you know, looking to, to grow a community of, of people in the industry who are doing the right things. And it's not, it's not always just going to be the women. You know, when we first started this, we, we had such a focus on women, but there's so many men out there who are also pulling for the same goals and, um, you know, some of them were coming into here commenting in here, you know, you know Freddie, Fred Lenart's, yep, Kim is, Baker. Mm-hmm, Kim Baker, they are all they're
2: all I'm sorry about those partners.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're all very much allies. They are those partners um and they care. And it's it's going to be more than women. So that I, I can
2: tell you that some of the most valuable forces that we have in the industry speaking out for women are some of the great men that we have um, that are great friends and great advocates and want to understand more. And uh, we'll come with those questions and say, "What do you think about this? What do you think about that? How do you think that we can change this?" And those are the people who are trying to push the industry forward just as much as us women are.
0: Exactly. And it's it's so important to have those those people in your corner and to also be an advocate for them too, you know? Oh, um, I'm
2: gonna cry you make us so proud so my team is commenting now they're just so awesome <laughs> yeah,
0: you are such a shining light for them and um, you know we see it in their love mm-hmm. for the store you know I've been connected with Sherelle on Facebook for a few years mm-hmm. and you know have always watched you so much to the point where when I see anything Volkswagen related my brain immediately goes to you so yeah um, just know it reaches so far and wide even further than southern Illinois absolutely thank you so much that's our goal we just want to make a difference and you are. And I, I hope that um, you know, sharing this episode can inspire other dealers to do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it wonderful.
2: It was so wonderful catching up with you ladies today. It has been too long, so let's not make it this long till we have our next conversation.
0: Well, I actually have
1: something top of mind that I want to talk with you about um later on this week. So shasta and okay. I'll be reaching
2: out to you soon. All right, sounds good. Well, have a great day, ladies. You Thank too. You. All, All right, right,
1: guys. We'll go ahead and wrap up now in a world where you can be anything. Remember to be kind. So whenever you go out into the world this week, remember to light it up. I am Jess. <laughs> I'm Chessa. And we are the Chicks in Charge. Thank you so much for watching, guys. Have a great day.